Bob World. It's your past first point guard and trailblazer reporter, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Wherever you get podcasts, and also on YouTube. Today's show is a very special one. If you're watching on YouTube, you already know why. But if you're listening in the audio space, it's because I'm joined by friend of the program, Eric Griffith, who you've read in Willamette Week. It's also, if you've been reading long enough, read him in Blazer's Edge as well. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, living the dream. You know me. I, you, we've been on the call for 10 or 15 minutes. I got plenty to complain about, but I'm not going to do it in this space. We're going to have a little bit of fun. Today's episode, I don't know if this is fun. This is fun for me. It's probably fun for no, you. You know what's fun? I want to point out to your YouTube listeners slash watchers that Rip City Magazine from the 90s in the background. Because yeah, yeah. Those... Right here, if you're watching on YouTube, it's right over my uh, my left shoulder, my maybe my right shoulder, the way you're looking at it. Yeah, and those those are super fun to read in hindsight, like old playoff previews and stuff. If you're a basketball nerd, and like Dr. Jack had a column, like a history column in there for a while. So if yeah, anyone Do- sees one of those at a vintage store, highly recommended. Yeah, Dr. Jack and Mike Rice are in this one, and there's an interview. Uh, there is an interview with Buck Williams. So it's it's like real real. It's a 1994 playoff preview. I just I literally just purchased this before the call. It's a new add to this to my setup. It's ever growing ephemera behind me. Uh, I got this at Ball Was Life, formerly Ball Was Life. They got a season assist. They're now known as Back to the Basket, a vintage store on Southeast Hawthorne here in Portland. So shout out to them. That is fun. Um, I always like uh, old Blazers stuff. They've got a great collection of stuff. And I don't think they listen to the pod. So this is some free advertising from uh, Back to the Basket, uh, courtesy of Eric Griffith. That's a, that's a, a just a free plug from a guest. Um, we're, we're here to talk about, like, I've got so many questions about this. This is like the main thing that's in my email address. The main thing that's kind of in my, my Twitter mentions is like, Hey Mike, what's the Blazers cap situation. So I want today's show to be just kind of like a, I don't know if explainer is the right word, but let's get all of it out there. Let's just kind of, let's, let's lay out the Blazers cap situation as simple as it can be. And Eric is someone who really understands the CBA. Uh, it's, um, Many, many things. Uh, he's got a good read on many things in, in the uh, uh, NBA world and Blazers world in particular, but as good as it gets in terms of Blazers and CBA knowledge right here. That's why we got Eric on the show. So let's just start there. Eric, what is the Blazers path to having cap space this summer? What does that look like? Yeah. So I think something to clarify right away is it's pretty unlikely that the Blazers will be able to use cap space in the traditional sense. Like they'll be $20 million under the cap and they'll sign a free agent for $20 million. That is pretty unlikely because they already have looking over at my spreadsheet about 70 million locked up just in salary. That's already guaranteed to Daniel Lillard, Justice Winslow, Nasir Little, et cetera. Those kind of guys, as well as some dead salary. And then once you add in the cap holds, for, for instance, Anthony Simon's free agency, Yusuf Nurkic's free agency, and so forth, you're looking at a cap figure, a total cap figure of right around like $113, $114 million against a cap of about $122 million. So before you make a single move, sign a single player, negotiate with Anthony Simons, they're already right up against the salary cap. And so the only way they have cap space is if they like dump everyone possible that they could over the off season. So if they don't negotiate with Nurkic, if they don't negotiate with Simons, if they cut Josh Hart, et cetera, just things they're not going to do. And since we all know that Nurkic and Hart are going to almost certainly stay with the team, it's very unlikely they're going to be acting with any kind of cap space under the cap. So they're, they're likely to be either right up against it or, or a shade over it uh, based on how it kind of how the other stuff works. Cause the exceptions when you're, when you're, 
when you're operating here, the exceptions are on the books. Like the mid-level exception would count against the cap. The biannual exception would count against the cap. That trade exception, I believe, would count against the cap. Is that true? That is, that is true. And so that's a great clarification by Mike. They have about $45 million in exceptions that they would have to renounce, which they would then not get access to again if they did go over the cap. And so they'd have to renounce the mid-level exception of about $10 million, the biannual exception of $4 million, and then that $21 million trade exception that they got in the CJ trade. And it just, it doesn't seem likely that they're willing to, to sacrifice all of those assets to create maybe $15 million in cap space. It just doesn't make fiscal sense in any way to do that. Yeah, like they've been talking about, oh, hey, we have an avenue to get $30 million in cap space. I mean, yes, <laughs> I think is like, yes, they do have that avenue. If they if they do not want to bring Yusuf Nurkic back and do not want to bring Josh Hart back and they don't want to bring Avery Simons back, like, oh yeah, let's just get significantly worse to go try to sign, say, DeAndre Ayton or something like that. Someone who's not even going to join the team anyways. Um, yeah, and I, I do want to add a clarification there. So what's what the, the flip side of this is, is they do have an option to take on $30 million in salary, for example. They have that $10 million mid-level exception they could use to sign. Like last year, I signed or they traded for Larry Nance, essentially using it. Um, they could sign someone to about a $10 million contract, and they could take a player from another team for up to $21 million with that CJ um, trade exception. So they do have an avenue to add 30, 40, 30 or $40 million in player salary. It just is going to need to be via trades as well as free agency. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. So they're not, they're not a cap team, right? They're not going to be a salary cap team. It's doesn't, or a team that's operating with a bunch of cap space is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't make sense. As Eric has explained, they've got all this guaranteed money. They've got these exceptions. Like they're just not going to be a team with that has um, cap space. But that isn't a big that isn't that big of a deal. Like one, the free agent class isn't particularly good. Like there's just not a bunch of big fish out there in twenty the summer of twenty twenty two where it's like let's open up a let's try to open up a max cap slot for it's like for what for what the like the biggest names are restricted guys. Uh, it's you know Miles Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. Like their teams can bring them back if they want. Now you might be able to you can know, go debate whether Robert Sarver wants to pay someone else a max contract, but that's like. Even then, you're, there's still it's a risk. It's like a probably less than a coin flip chance that you get him get him on your team, even if you open up that money. However, there is this other avenue that you just mentioned, like being operating as a team above the cap gives them some tools. I want to let's talk about that in the second segment. Let's talk about like if they're not going to be a team that operates with cap space, what are their sort of avenues to get better? How does this? What are their ways? What are their paths forward? Before we do that, though, I want to tell my listeners all about True Bill. It is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, you don't want, or you, or you just forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year when they when they switch to Truebill or they try out Truebill. It's because companies are making subscriptions hard to cancel. So Truebill exists to make things incredibly simple. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Uh, I use Truebill. I downloaded the app. I connected my accounts in about 15 minutes, less than 15 minutes. I was looking at all of my digital subscriptions. I could see what I was paying for, my you know my annual fees, my monthly fees, all of that. It was super quick to use, super easy, and, and helped me kind of make decisions about what I wanted to keep and what I didn't want to keep. So try it out. Don't fall for those subscription scams. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash locked on MBA. Go right now, truebill.com slash locked on MBA. It could save you thousands a year. That's truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Today's show also brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. Uh, listen, I have been 
hosting this podcast for about three years. And I have been telling you about Bill Bars for two and a half of them. A longtime sponsor of the show and and a, a quite frankly, a product that I tried for free because they're a good, 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 good partner. They send you some free product. You say, hey, these are pretty good. And then I just spend, I use my own money to buy Bill Bars now. Like I just, I, I enjoy them. They pack a punch. They taste good. They're part of my pretty regular routine is to eat a peanut butter brownie Bill Bar and go about my day. And I like it because not only are they covered in 100% chocolate and come in great flavors and give you that little, you know, midday sugar, sugar, blood sugar spike, they also pack a punch, 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories, just four grams of net carbs, and usually no more than five grams of sugar. So go get yourself some, go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right. Still chatting here with Eric Griffith, writer for Willamette Week. You've read him in your local alt weekly. You've read him on Blazers Edge if you've been reading long enough. Uh, we talked about the Blazers not going to be a cap space team or going to be, you know, not a traditional big, big money spender in cap space. You mentioned it. You kind of teased it a little bit in the first segment. What are their avenues if they're not a cap space team? What are there? Is this is there value in operating as above the cap team? And what are their avenues to get better if if they go those routes? Yeah, so um, as we hinted at, by operating over the cap, they're going to have access to those three trade exceptions. So there's the $21 million trade exception, which means they can receive a player or multiple players um, from other teams. Um, they cannot aggregate all that together. They have to use it more or less by itself. They have to. They can say, we can take on up to $21 million to take another player from you, from another team, to complete that CJ trade. They have a smaller one of about $6.5 million from the Rocco trade, another one um, and another $3 million one from the New Orleans trade. And so they have, they can take on players from other teams. They could, you know, say, we're going to send you a draft pick. You send us back this guy and we'll absorb his salary into our trade exception. And they have 12 months from the date of the trade. So they basically have until the next trade deadline to do that. And so they may not complete their team this summer. We saw Neil O'Shea do this several times and, you know, we don't like most of what Neil O'Shea did but having the patience to wait a few months to use your trade exceptions is not necessarily a bad thing. And yeah, so it helps, helps you get a Rodney Hood. <laughs> exactly. Helps you get a Rodney Hood and make the conference finals. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so they, they can take players from other teams in that way in trades. And then they can also sign free agents using the mid-level exception, the biannual exception, and then they can sign anyone they want to a veteran minimum contract. And so those are the two ways they can take on players. Okay. So, how much is the mid-level exception worth this year? Mid-level exception, um, the various estimates, if you look at the various sources, it's hovering around 10 and a quarter million. Yeah, I was going to say 10.3, I think is what I read yeah. on, on ESPN. So 10 and a quarter. So that means your starting salary in year one is 10 and a quarter for a free agent. And you can sign up to a four-year deal and the, the four-year deal. So it's something something akin to four for 44. That's not exactly it. It's probably more like four for 42 and a half, but let's just, let's call it for like easy math sake for now. We can do the real math when we get there, but for now it's about four for 44. Uh, that's probably- and let, let, let me just jump in there and say, this is the only way the Blazers can really sign an impact like role player level free agent. And we saw them not use this exception to its full value in the past at times and also not sign players to three-year deals using it. I think something to watch this summer to see how serious the Blazers are about this rebuild is what they do with that mid-level exception. Because if they don't use the full mid-level exception and they don't sign someone to a three-year deal so that they have complete control over that player's bird rights, we should be a little dubious of what their long-term financial willingness to invest in the team is, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like you, okay, we're going to sign Derek Jones Jr. And we're really going to commit to him, but it's like a two-year deal, you know, like it's like, okay, what, huh? Huh? Or it's like, we're going to use part of this to sign Gary Trent Jr. But it's going to be, you know, I agree. They got to like, one of the ways to find out if they're really about it is not like re-signing Nurk and Ant. That's just good business. That's going to happen. And we'll talk about that there in a second. Like, but like, do they spend all of this exception money? If they're really going to go for it, like Damon Lillard seems to really, every time anyone asks him, he mentions loyalty and championships. If he wants this to happen here, what the people in charge, how much money they allocate matters. And I think that's a really good point. It's like, okay, if you spend the full mid-level, you're serious. If you spend a portion of it, you're just, you know, we know what's up. <laughs> we know what the deal is. Uh, yeah, and I would just add on too there, the, the reason that's important is because the Blazers are not a talent-rich team right now. They have a significant lack of depth, and it's, it's a glaring weakness that we're looking at. And we, see, we can see that where they send two players to the Clippers, those guys are automatically major parts of a playoff run. You don't give up this many impact players, regardless of the salary, without having to bring in some replacements to fill out your bench. The only feasible way to do that with free agents is via the mid-level exception. And then in turn, you have to keep those players around because it's not like you build depth over the course of one season. You build depth in the NBA over the course of several seasons by getting players on high-value contracts that are then flexible for you in the future. And the Blazers have failed at that in the past. And that's another reason why I feel like with this, with this new regime change, watching that mid-level exception will be something of a bellwether for their long-term intent. Yeah, it's, it, it is... You will, Joe Corn has put such a, a massive stamp on this, like a, without a value judgment. I think people are mad at Joe Cronin right now. So I don't like, yeah. <laughs> sure, be mad at him. That's fine. Um, but like he has, he has said, okay, I'm going to like, I have a plan. And whether that plan is a good plan or a bad plan will remains to be seen. Or maybe you're convinced it's terrible now and fire Joe Cronin. But like uh, he, the man tore it down, traded CJ McCollum, got rid of all the money, built the worst possible worst team maybe we've we've ever seen in the league um for 25 games like as without bad a as, doubt as I, I, certainly the worst <laughs> the worst collection of talent i've seen in the years i've been doing this cl close to a decade um so like, I, i've watched i've watched an unreasonable number of 70s nba games i i think that that this was the worst 25 game roster in nba history i mean it's it, it's up there it, yeah. it's like it's in the conversation it was just like it's as it's as bad as they've been the man had a plan um, some of it didn't go right for him, but like part of seeing that plan and play out in the future is what they do this summer. Uh, one more question on the, the exception stuff. So few teams use the biannual exception. It doesn't come up very much. Um, what sort of, why not? And then as an ancillary part of that question or a secondary part of that question, what is a hard cap? Yes. Yeah, so the, the biannual exception is exactly what it sounds like. It's every other year. Um, it's for about $4 million. Um, what we're starting to see is that, you know, these minimum contracts that they're si you're signing someone to Carmelo Anthony at, at, he gets paid like overall, those players get paid. I, I forget what it is now. It's somewhere between two and a half, $2.8 million, something like that for someone who has a lot of NBA experience. The team only covers about 60% of that contract. The rest of it for a longtime veteran is covered by the league office, essentially by all 30 teams. And so a lot of times you'll see teams, I think, filling out their roster. And this is, this is my my interpretation of what I see going on. This is not something a league insider has told me, but what I'm seeing is a lot of teams are seeing more value in those vet minimum veteran contracts that they don't have to pay the full amount for and also can bring on someone with more experience because there's just not that much of a difference between a minimum 
and the biannual contract right now. And particularly you're talking to Carl and Anthony. It's like you've made a hundred you've made whatever, two hundred million dollars in contracts. Are you cool taking three million and not four million? And he's like, Yeah, all right. Like, yeah, like, fine. I don't need to negotiate for a million bucks because I've been doing this for so long. I'm, I'm freaking Carmelo Anthony or whatever it might be. I'm even if like mm-hmm. I'm Tristan Thompson, it's the same idea um, mm-hmm. is that, hey, we can only pay you at this rate. You can go somewhere else to make a million more. Okay, no problem. Like I'll take a 30% reduction in pay for just a much better situation. So teams don't really use the biannual. Um, but Mike, the one thing I will add there that yeah. I and um, that I think the Blazers have done well in the past that we would be smart to watch with the biannual exception is that you can split the biannual exception across multiple players. And so something we saw the Blazers do was use their one of their other exceptions to sign someone like Seth Curry to a short-term contract, but also to sign Gary Trent Jr. to a three-year contract at the league minimum. And then that locked in the full bird rights so that he was a restricted free agent. That is something which you cannot do with a minimum contract. A minimum contract only can only be, you know, is, it cannot be long enough to qualify someone right. for full bird rights. And so a move that a smart team will make, I think, in the Blazers situation when they are talent starved is to search for those diamonds in the rough. You're, you know, someone like Duncan Robinson with the Heat and sign someone like Gary Trent Jr., who's maybe a second an unsigned free agent to a three-year deal using the biannual exceptions that you lock in bird rights. And then, you know, if you hit the jackpot on this player, you now have team control at a low salary for a role player, which is absolutely essential to proper team building in the NBA. So I kind of expect them to use the biannual exception to lock a, um, lock a second rounder into a slightly longer contract. Yeah. And they do have two seconds. Um, and uh, if they're going to be expensive at, if they're going to be top heavy, like, at the top of the roster, a little bit expensive at the top of the roster, depending on how much money Simons and Nurk make, uh, then building, I mean, they have a lot of young guys at the back half of the roster right now. We'll see what happens if how many they keep. I can't imagine they take two second round picks and a first rounder on this roster. They just need more vets. Like they just need more vets. It's why other things might happen. We'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think, um, I think it, there's the the Gary, the Gary Trent deal is like a really is like a classic Olshea move, right? He traded two second round picks and some cash to get his guy. His guy turned out to be pretty good. Um, Neil should be a scout. Um, he's not good at press conferences. Any place where he doesn't have to talk into a microphone um, and doesn't have to be publicly mad and he can just scout six, five dudes in the second round, incredibly good at it. Straight up great at scouting uh, someone under six foot six in the second round. There's no, Neil's, Neil's freaking great at it. Um, he's been, he's has a pretty solid, in my opinion, very solid track record of finding. If only there was a six, five and under NBA minor league Yeah, or finding a Will Barton and a Pat Connaughton and a Gary Trent Jr. He's just straight up, he's just Alan Crabb. Like he's just straight up great at it. Um, the other now, stuff we can't we can't manage to keep those players around in Portland. No, apparently, never. He's but, never. You know, retain, at least never retained them, right? one. Exactly. Never retained one, but got it. Uh, so there is something about using these exceptions that comes up, and I think people. This is your clarification here. What is a hard cap, and why would the Blazers be right to avoid it? So the hard cap. Once you use exception, you are what is called hard capped, and you are prevented from taking on any additional salary for any reason. This also triggers if you use one of your if you if you make a sign and trade or if you receive a player in a sign and trade. Right. Um, and that level is I don't I don't have the exact I don't remember what the exact number for next season is. It's going to be somewhere around seven million dollars or so over the luxury tax line, which is going to be about one hundred and fifty six million dollars. Um, the luxury tax will be about one hundred and forty nine million. 
So something else we can watch with the Blazers is given all these exceptions they have, they do have the, uh, the capacity to go all the way right up to that hard cap around $156 million, which would mean being a tax paying team. And so we want to watch, are they going to stop taking on players at $149 million or are they going to go a little over and up to that apron? That's something else we can watch for this summer. Yeah, pretty, pretty much no team's ever won a championship outside of the tax. Um, I, I, I believe the first iteration of the Warriors in 2015 did. Um, I think that's the last team to not be a non-taxpaying team to win the ta- to win the title. You have to pay to win in the league. Competitive teams pay the tax. That is just that is the nature of this. Um, if you're if you're a franchise serious about winning, it costs a lot. Of, it costs a lot of money to do so because stars cost money and role players cost money and and depth is so important. If you're watching the NBA playoffs, just the number of like. How many dudes do you have who are 6'6 to 6'10 and can run around is incredibly important. And everyone is looking for those players. They cost money. So um, the Blazers have like uh, one of those guys on the roster right now? Zero? <laughs> Something in the range of none? Uh, so they need, they need, they certainly just need bigger at more athletic wings. Uh, let's, let's talk about what you think they might do to close the show based on all the information we have. No salary, you know, not a, not a salary cap team. Operating as above the cap team with all the exceptions, sort of what is the path forward? That's what we'll do to close the show. But first, I want to tell my listeners about Bet Online. It is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. More lines, more props, more odds on whatever. You want to bet on the NBA playoffs? There's games every single night, and there's lines and props and odds on all of those games. You don't want to bet on the NBA? You'll find other sports, soccer here and abroad. You can get tennis tournaments. You can get... Uh, combat sports like boxing and MMA. You can get the end of the NHL's regular season. Whatever it is, you're going to find it on Bet Online. So don't wait. Go take advantage of today. Have some fun. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked on Blazers. Still chatting here with Eric Griffith, writer for the Lama Week here in Portland, and also a longtime contributor to Blazers Edge. Um, Many listeners will remember old Eric G from the uh, from the Blazers Edge byline. Eric, what are the Blazers going to do this summer? Give me like your give me your rough outline of what you think what you think the path is. Yeah, so um, I think the I, I would hope they spend so they they need to make a decision like we just said. So segue the segue here is are we going to spend up to the tax line or up to the apron line, which is that hard cap line? They will decide which one of those two things they're going to do, and then I think they will start to fill in the salary um, around, you know, core decisions. And then they'll see how much is left over and spend up to that point would be my prediction. And so what are those core decisions they have to make? Um, most obviously is first they have to sign Simons and Nurkic. Um, so if we around 24 and $18 million respectively, more or less, that's already going to, you know, start to jack the salary up a little bit. Um, and then if you assume they retain every all the, the secondary players on the roster, so we have like Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, I think Lozada, Los, I, I always say his name wrong, Lozada is still um, under contract for next year. And then, so they'll do that. And then they'll add an, a mid-level exception and a biannual exception, presumably, along with the draft pick. And so once you've retained all the players, signed Nurkic and um, Simons, and you've added the and we assume they use the mid level and the biannual exception. They're at about 132 million dollars. Add in the ghost of Alan Crabb and Eric Bledsoe's dead money. Um, we're going to assume they cut Eric Bledsoe. I think that adds will, another yeah. seven. Now they're up around 139 million dollars, which is about 17 million dollars 
over the luxury cap and about 10 million, or sorry, over the salary cap and about $10 million below the luxury tax line. And that's without using that big trade exception, which would bring in um, would bring in another big money player without necessarily Blazers sending out any salary. Uh, it's without using the smaller trade exceptions that could bring in, you know, that could swap maybe like a Luzada for someone making six million dollars and like, you know, the net is five million bucks, but being more expensive. So, so you're talking about a team that's about 135 million ish, um, without using some of their big. T- tools. Do you think they'll use that trade exception? They certainly have mentioned it a lot. You know, if they, so, so this is my, I see a discordance right now between with what they're saying and the reality of their situation. The reality of the situation, like we've said, and I think we really need to harp on is that they are relatively talent poor. I don't know that you can look at the roster right now and say that this roster is more talented than it was 12 months ago. Now no, that I would say no way, that, right? No way. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't mean they're in a worse situation necessarily because, you know, we, we've, I'm sure you've talked repeatedly about all the salary they dump, but the reality is they don't have that very, that many, as many good players as they used to. And so I think they have to use at least one of those trade exceptions just to, you know, just to get those, you know, guys who are competent NBA players who can mop up regular season minutes so that the starters don't play 38 minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, like, when Joe Cronin at his ex interview highlighted six players, he's like, we've got a core six players. I'm like, that's not, it's not even a rotation. It's not even like, it's not even a rotate. Like you, you literally couldn't play a game with those six. Cause you're just not big enough. Like you need another forward. You need another center. Um, and that's including justice Winslow and Nasir little, I believe if I'm counting right. Yes. And yes. I like both of those guys are solid NBA players, but are those guys rotation player in a playoff rotation on a team in the conference finals? I, I don't think we know that about either one yet. Probably one of them is, but it's like the idea that both of them definitely would be. I, I kind of think like, I, I think Nas is going to, I I project him to be like a, a long-term starter in the league. I don't think he's going to be much more than that. Like just from what I've seen. Um, but I think like he could play, I mean, it's like some people feel like that's an insult. <laughs> you start for 10 years in the league, you had one hell of an NBA career. Like that is, you did really well. And I I kind of project him as that. Uh, Winslow, just the offense and the, the injury stuff, like I don't know if he'll, if he'll ever be that again. But, you know, it, I'm not sure like on a, a truly good team, if you're watching, you know, I've, I've been watching the playoffs like all week. Um, it's like, if you're watching a, a tr- the truly good teams, are those guys playable at the really high levels? And I'm not hundred percent sure I'm, I'm with you on that. So like you need to upgrade those two spots because if the best version of the Blazers, in my opinion, Josh Hart and Nazir Little are the first two guys off the bench, like next mm-hmm. season, the path to that though, where you're not picking between Josh Hart and us little to start at small forward is so far from where they are right now. You'd have to get two starting level forwards in an NBA where literally every team is looking for two levels, two starting level forwards. Um, the only team that isn't is the Clippers because they have all of those players already on the roster. I think the added complication here is we're talking about that $21 million cap exception. And I feel, I think they have to use at least part of it, like for the reason you just outlined, like they are making some very tough decisions in the starting lineup. So we haven't even gotten to the bench. And so, first of all, they can't necessarily use all 21 million of it and stay below the hard cap, depending on how much they like, depending on how much they sign everyone else for, what exceptions they use, and so forth. So, that's already an issue. Number two, what are they going to tack on to that $21 million exception to get someone to send them a positive value player back? Because it has to be in a trade, and they are very low on draft capital. And it's not like there's a lot of blue chip prospects on the roster. So, how do you? 
you get, how do you pry a $21 million player away from another team at this point? Yeah. You, you, I mean, that's why they desperately needed that second top 10 pick from new Orleans because then they'd actually have something of value to, to trade. Are you, are you, uh, you have to pick, like say the Blazers finish seventh pick in the draft. Are you a have to pick at seven or do, or would you like, if they, if they are dangling seven, are you worried about the future of this team? I, I am. And so this gets back to what I'm saying, where I think there's a discordance between what the te- like the team claiming that they want to be competitive for like title competitive next season and the realities of their 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 roster and the realities of their lack of draft capital. Um, I think that they 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 have they 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 must lock in a couple players on team friendly deals that will be tradable and that will also bring back you know like like basically they're playing they they need to pay some guys less than they are worth essentially and rookie contracts are you know the tried and true method to do that if you draft well Absolutely. and because of that i don't i think they have to have that four-year rookie contract just so they're not hard cap for for the next five years again and we you know we're right back where we started at that point so i think they have to draft someone and they must get a hit on that pick if they want to be competitive sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I am someone who believes that the draft is like a crapshoot. It is like just absolutely random. It's a dart throw. It is so hard to project a guy between 17 to 22, much less 17 to 27, his actual peak. It's so hard. If it was easy, teams would get it right. Like even the teams that are really good at this, like James Jones has been really good at this in Phoenix. He drafted Jalen Smith 10th overall. Like he just drafted an absolute dud at 10. Like even the teams that are clearly great at team building screw it up because it's just so hard to project like where guys go. But, but Mike, I think I think I want to push back on that a little bit because I like to think about it in terms of probabilities. And we we do have we have a robust history of draft data to show us that you're more likely to get a hit earlier in the draft and you're more likely to get a starting caliber oh, player, you know, through absolutely. six one through ten. And, and so the way I look at it is you need to maximize the number of chances you have at getting a good outcome. And so I think a team like Portland, if I was going to critique what they're doing right now, so I think, you know, hitting hard reset, I get why they did that. I don't know how, like, that they've bought enough lottery, like high value lottery tickets. I don't know that they have enough chances right now with what they have to, you know, get lucky on some of these players. And that's my biggest concern. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say is like, I, I'm not, I'm a believer that the draft is kind of a mess. I'm also a believer that the Blazers have to get seven, right. To have a chance or six, right. Wherever they end up, you have to get it right. If you get mm-hmm. like in the, the 2017 draft where they screwed up and had three draft picks and ended with Swanigan and Zach Collins, like I don't really bang on them for missing the picks, but I also recognize that going into 2017 with three draft picks and coming out with neither impact player is what sunk that iteration of the Blazers. It's what, it's what eventually sunk the ship, right? Is that if they had had rookie scale contributors from those, from two or three of those spots, they're a good team. And because Swanigan was not that and Collins couldn't stay on the court, it was, you know, they had, they had one good playoff run. Um, and I, and I, I totally agree. If you look back even, so even now we look back on the Nessier Little and the Anthony Simon picks and we're like, those were solid. Like those were, you know, good value for what they were. But if you look back, like, who is contributing in the year 2021 to the Portland Trailblazers? I like they they basically went from CJ McCollum to 2021 without having any draft. Like, and I, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, but their their draft picks were not contributing to their playoff runs. They're only right. just now getting any return on investment on like five years of draft picks, essentially. Yeah, I and will that, say I think sunk the I think that sunk the Lillard era so far. Yeah, I mean, Collins had a really nice game six against the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Don't get, don't get it twisted. Really nice game six. Played really, really well. But like, that's not, that is a, 
I'm not saying that Zach Collins didn't help them get to the Western Conference Finals. I'm saying on the mm-hmm. whole, Collins was not a probably not a positive contributor. Hard for me to hard for me to be convinced he was on the whole a positive contributor. And that's what it's been. Uh, you know, they flipped a they flipped some picks for for vets at some at some point in the beginning of the run, and then they, uh, you know, it just it didn't. They made some risks to not have draft picks when they were a pretty competitive team. But you've got good teams need rookies. Good teams need rookies. It's just. It's true. Um, I, I, I earlier this week in the show, I did like a fake trade for the for the hey, the Blazers. Here's what they do with the sixth pick, and everyone's like, I hate it. And I'm like, well, I hate it too. I don't want them to trade the pick, but like, uh, I, I, you know, if if that's the route they're going to go, and I kind of think they might, um, you know, they got to. Th- that's the thing they have to trade of value, because if you yeah, look at the, the rest, of, go ahead. No, I was. Gonna, I do feel good. Um, so Jake Fisher today just published an article on Bleacher Report, and um, his his insights. He's saying his sources are saying the Blazers are. It's looking like they're going to use the pick to actually draft someone. Yeah. Um, so that that made me feel pretty good to see. Uh, you know, he's pretty plugged in. So to see a plugged in NBA reporter saying no, because one of my concerns is they trade their only draft, like their only rookie scale contract for Jeremy Grant, and then give Jeremy Grant twenty million dollars. And now we're right back where we started a team that's not good enough to compete, but is hard capped. And so hearing that they intend to use the six pick, hopefully made me feel pretty good. Yeah. I I think that Cronin seems measured. Like I I think he took some big risks and they didn't work out and everyone's mad at at that. But I think like his, his process has seemed, he's got a clear vision, right? Like he may have struck out a couple of times, but the previous regime refused to even like get in the batter's box. So it's like, yeah, I, I think it doesn't surprise me that, that that would be his path forward. He's also like, he loves, he loves the draft. Like he loves rookie stuff. Uh, back before he was like a, in the big chair, I remember talking to him about it. He would get excited about prospects for sure. Um, also yeah, and just- I, I think um, I saw, I saw like I, this, this idea has been floating around Twitter and the Blazers edge comments and, and whatnot, but there's some teams with multiple picks. The Spurs have, I forget, they got three first round picks. I think it's yep. like 10 and 20 or whatever. It's, it's conceivable that, that Cronin also makes a deal, swings a deal where he trades for a slightly lower lottery pick, maybe with a team like San Antonio and a 20 pick. And then he uses one or two, one of those one of those picks to draft a player and one of those picks to go after Jeremy Grant or whoever into that right. twenty one million dollar exception. So there's other paths where they both draft someone for someone. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we we know the nuts and bolts, and I think it, that's that's appreciate the uh, the. I believe Jake Fisher hosts a podcast called Don't Aggregate This, so I'm glad we were able to aggregate some of his reporting on this podcast. <laughs> no, we but I, we added extra content. We did. That's, so that's, that's like one of my we, big beefs. My big beefs yes. with modern aggregation is that you don't just you're not just copy and pasting quotes, you lazy bozos. Add mm-hmm. some thoughts. Add some thoughts. Yes. That's the the origins of blogging was always aggregation within your own creative thoughts, and then like linking it to a David Fincher film. Um, it's, <laughs> that's real blogging for my nerds. Uh, those people are 39 years old now. It's too bad that we got old. Um, all right, Eric, I'm going to get you out of here. Uh, this, thanks so much for, for, uh, for sharing your expertise and, and, uh, and, you know, thinking about the team. I, I don't love trade machine, but I love the idea, like concepts of how the trades work. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that outline. If you're looking for Eric, read him in the Willamette week, uh, you know, just grab it out the newsstand. You'll see it. Um, and, uh, follow him on Twitter, Eric G underscore MBA. Did I get that one right? You got it. Eric G underscore MBA. Uh, dear listeners come back for more. This is a Friday, April 22nd show. And uh, we will have more next week, five days a week, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.